welcome to the Quietest Moments podcast. I am your host, Sherry Homiyun Myers, and this is a show that's really dedicated to those on a journey of self-discovery and inner peace. My show is all about the quiet moments in life and what have been some of those quiet moments that people have experienced. What have they taught them? The lessons, the insights. There is so much we can learn in the quiet moments of life if we just listen. So this is going to be the type of show that's going to expand your mind in so many different ways and is really going to help facilitate more of your growth on your own personal self-discovery journey. So I say buckle up hit the follow button and enjoy the ride and welcome to the quietest moments. Okay. So my next special guest is a guy by the name of Scott Aaron and Scott I've known for a while and he's so impressive. I mean, this is a business coach. He's an author. He has his own successful podcast And what I really love about my episode with Scott is that you learn a lot about his journey and just who he is. And I think that's always so amazing when we can let down a lot of these walls that we put up and a lot of people make assumptions, but then when you hear someone's life story, it, it just humbles you. And a lot of times we go throughout life having these humbling experiences. And and what I really took away from Scott is just his beautiful ability to remain humble throughout the entire process. It's like we are in the attitude business and his attitude is one that I'm just so thankful for. So I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Scott Aaron. On a journey, if you can start, just tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are today. <laughs> I love this question because it's such a, it's such a loaded question Be, you know, for a number of reasons and whenever I Whenever I, I sometimes speak, sometimes I speak just about my story. So I, uh, I always talk about brain tattoo moments. And what I consider a brain tattoo moment is a very impactful moment in your life that it stays with you forever, number one. And number two, it transcends your life to be completely different. And I had someone ask me, just a few weeks ago, if you can go back and live your life differently, knowing what you know now, what everything that happened, would you do it any differently? And I said, absolutely not, because I love my life where it is right now and I love where it's going. So all the things that happened for me had to happen in order to get me to where I, I am right now. And you know, the, the one example that I give people is we all have these moments. It could be a, a death in your family. It could be uh, a personal illness. For me, it was when I was 18 going on 19. Uh, I, I grew up in a very typical Jewish household. So very, very close, tight-knit family, uh, overbearing mother. She still is. God, God bless her. She's the best. But I also, you know, family was everything to me. And it still is. My parents are no longer together. They're, they're divorced, but obviously they're both happy with their partners that they're with. But when I was 18 going on 19, my father made some business decisions that, that really changed our family's trajectory and life. He was a serial entrepreneur. He owned multiple businesses. My, my grandfather, who's still with us, he just turned 92. Uh, he has been an entrepreneur his whole life. He owned a pharmacy, uh, you know, did some independent contract work as a pharmacist. My great-grandfather, uh, who passed when I was around eight years old, 
came over from Eastern Europe and was actually a butcher in South Philadelphia, had his own butcher shop, which my grandfather and my dad helped out and working in. And, you know, so the entrepreneurial blood has always been in me. Now, I didn't choose entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship chose me. When my father broke partnership with his, his last company in around 1994, 1995, he had the opportunity to partner with an existing physical rehabilitation company managing multiple locations. So, you know, not owning the company, not running the company, managing locations. And for outside looking in, things seemed great. Things, you know, money was coming in, you know, we were, we were living a good life, never really struggling uh, from the outside. And after my freshman year of college at the University of Pittsburgh, we were we were home on obviously I was home on break and we were having a little family barbecue just uh, just the four of us my sister myself and my parents and my dad said listen I'm going to be uh, leaving this company that I've been working with for the last couple of years and I'm going to be uh, purchasing a fitness club in downtown Philadelphia that I'm going to start running and the main reason behind all this is that I'm I'm forced to leave this company because they're they're under investigation by the federal government and. I mean, that, that in itself was really awkward and weird to hear that the, the FBI was involved in something that my dad was involved with. And he said, I'm actually being investigated myself. Uh, there is the potential for house arrest, but uh, to prepare for whatever may happen, I'm leaving this company, I'm going to start working this gym, and this is what the family's going to be doing now. And obviously, we didn't question anything. He was the man of the house. So we just went with it. And again, things started to proceed and we had this, this thought in our, our heads that, you know, house arrest, house arrest, house arrest. And my father did plead guilty to, uh, the, it was a, an insurance fraud case that was valued at around $9.5 million. And my father was cooperating with the government. He was doing everything that he could to lessen whatever charges were going to be there. And on the day of sentencing, when my father thought it was going to be house arrest, he ended up getting 24 to 36 months in federal prison. So this was, a, this was my brain tattoo moment. This was my impactful moment because whether I knew it or not, this gym was now going to be mine. And as uh, the three of us drove my father to prison a few weeks later, my father, I'll never forget, he turned around to me before he exited the car to turn himself in. He said, now you're the man of the house. And that was a, a statement that I, I still carry with me to this day because I wasn't emotionally mature enough at the time to understand that statement, but I now am. And, and I realize, you know, I'm not one to pat myself on the back, but what I was able to accomplish at a very young age, not knowing anything about running a gym and even being a, a gym person, I, I was more of a hippie I, uh, when I did have hair. Uh, I had a, a huge Jufro, and I used to travel around the country seeing a band called Fish. That's, that's basically what I did with my time uh, and my money. But I basically had to step into this adult role, and I had to start running this gym. But I, I can tell you, Sherry, I fell in love not only with entrepreneurship, but I fell in love with health and wellness. Uh, in the two and a half years that my father was away, I grew the gym from around 400 members to nearly 1,100. I also got my certification in group fitness, um, personal training, and sports nutrition, fully 
uh, enveloping myself in this profession and loved it. My father came back and the one gym turned into two gyms. And in 2002, we opened up a second location. And strangely enough, in 2003, we were approached by another family to actually buy both gyms for a million dollars. Completely unexpected, but you know, when you're thrown a million dollars, you take the deal. So we took the deal. So at, at 24 years old, I became a millionaire and spent, uh, you know, 2003 to 2004, just personal training, uh, you know, really trying to figure out what the next move was going to be. And my father decided in 2004, late 2004, early 2005, to invest the money back into opening up another gym. And this gym was going to be on the outskirts of Philadelphia near the art museum the Rocky steps with those that are familiar. And because my parents' credit was bottomed out, I was the one that had to have the gym financed in my name and everything had to be put into my name. And again, I didn't understand what any of that meant at 25 years old. But three years later, uh, I found myself in $1.5 million of liability debt. So between 2008 and 2014, uh, those six years, I was married and divorced twice, which was also something really challenging for me because, you know, I, I believe in marriage. Obviously, I, I am reengaged to the, the woman of my dreams, and we're getting married later this year. We just bought a house, actually. And, you know, I learned a lot from both of those marriages. Obviously, you know, the first one, I was very young. So I, I learned about emotional maturity. The second one, again, emotional maturity, but also responsibility because um, the second marriage, we had a child together. My, my son just turned seven in September. So learning the responsibility of being a parent. But I would say probably one of the most impactful moments of my journey was in 2013. And in 2013, I found myself in a very vulnerable position. I was, you know, crawling out of this financial hole that I was in from how the gym was financed. But secondly, I was, I was in a dark place personally. I just, I wasn't happy with myself. I, my son was a year old. I, I, I wasn't showing up the way that I wanted to as a father and as a man for him. And an old friend of mine that used to work out at my gyms downtown uh, sent me a message on Facebook and said, hey, would love to catch up. You know, can I come to the gym and catch a workout? And he did. And we just started, you know, shooting the shit. And, and uh, you know, it come to find that he stepped into some entrepreneurial endeavors and, and he introduced me to network marketing. And, you know, there's a lot of people that may listen to this that aren't in network marketing or aren't in entrepreneurship that think it's a Ponzi and it's a pyramid. And, and again, people can think what they want. But what I heard was opportunity because I, I, know, I, I know the opportunity that, that uh, a network marketing opportunity presents. And, and I, I didn't believe in Ponzi's or pyramid. I had the entrepreneurial spirit. I was psychologically unemployable. And I believed in diversifying my time and my income. And it was uh, interesting because he asked me a question. He said, Scott, if you got sick or injured where you physically couldn't train people anymore, what would you then do for income? And I think facing your own uh, employment mortality, so to speak, where 
I don't think anyone, no one's safe. You know, you could be the owner of a company, you can go under, you could be working for a company and have a great, a great position in the company. You're not safe. Uh, you're, you're just not. You always have to prepare for what's next. It's not, it's not preparing for yourself to get fired or your company closing. It's, it's diversifying your time, diversifying your energy. So when I, when I stepped into network marketing, I was literally shot out of a cannon. Within two years, I was able to create enough residual income that matched my income as a personal trainer. But what I can share with you, Sherry, the most impactful thing was the personal development that I, I was digging into. And I share with people all the time, and you hear this too, that network marketing is a personal development journey with a compensation plan attached to it. The more personally developed you become, the more income you can create. That is absolutely true. The people that you see making a lot of money, not just in network marketing, but in life, practice personal development. They listen to podcasts, they read books, they meditate, they journal, they have affirmations, all these things that I thought was very hokey that I'm like, I'm not gonna do that shit. Like, that's, that's just not me. Once you start to turn on that faucet of personal development, you can't shut it off. It, it, it's, it's, it's an addiction in the best way possible. So around 2015, as I was exiting my, my second marriage, I, I stepped into a, a, another aspect of my life that was, that was kind of unexpected. I, I started uh, my online business coaching uh, business, which I, I teach uh, people in corporate America. I teach people in entrepreneurship how to utilize LinkedIn to grow their businesses and their brands. And I realized I had a gift. I had a gift of, of teaching human connection. But this gym, which was my father's dream, the fitness industry was my father's dream. I just happened to fall in love with the people that were involved with it. It was, it was sitting on my shoulders. This gym was drowning. Um, I, had, I had wanted to liquidate some assets. I had a property that I owned in downtown Philadelphia. And when I was at the closing of this house, I should have been taking out about $35,000 worth of equity. I'd had the house for about nine years. And I had a check slid over to me. When I turned it over, it said $837. And I said to my mortgage, uh, my mortgage guy, and I said, why? Uh, I had like $35,000 worth of equity. He goes, well, he goes, what you didn't know is that you signed a document years, years before that was using your house as collateral for the gym's equipment lease. So basically what that means is when I sold my property, whatever money was left owed on the lease of the gym's equipment actually got paid to the bank instead of me. So I ended up paying off the gym's equipment with the sale of my house. And now the flags were up. And at that point, I, I asked my father to break partnership and leave the gym. And I was going to take it over myself because I was in control of my life at this point, not him. He wanted to continue on his journey of personal training. I was trying to find a way of how I can start creating my own freedom. So I pulled one last piece of paper that really was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And it was the lease of the gym, which I had just resigned a year prior. And it was a five-year commitment. I was a year into that. And I saw on the last page, it said guarantor and it had my signature on it. And for those that don't know what that means, when you are the personal guarantor of a lease, you are financially responsible for every dollar that's owed on that lease, whether the business survives or not. 
So at that point, I was also personally on the hook for another $450,000. At this point, I knew I had to make some decisions. And I was sitting with my business attorney and the gym at this point was losing about two to $3,000 a month. The building was falling apart. My landlords had no money to invest back into the building. So people were not staying, they were leaving. And my attorney said, well, listen, you have two options. You can continue going down this path that you're going down and continue to fund the gym with your network marketing business and your coaching practice, or you can file for personal bankruptcy. And when I heard the word personal bankruptcy, I didn't hear your life is over. I instead heard your life is about to begin because this was gonna be my exit strategy to start living my life on my own terms. And I wasn't scared of it. I mean, I had already been through making millions and losing millions. I had been through two and a half, almost three years of my father being in prison, two different divorces, all of those. I understood what it meant to be resilient and to keep moving forward and learn from those things. So on July 1st of 2016, nearly four years ago, I filed for personal bankruptcy. On July 31st, I closed the doors to the gym. I wrote a handwritten letter to the members, the staff, my employees, and said, thank you for your 12 years of service and dedication to this gym and this community. I locked the door, shut the lights off, closed the door behind me, and I never went back. So on August 1st of 2016 is when I fully stepped into living my life on my own terms. And Sherry, I can tell you that my life truly has not been the same. The things that I've accomplished and the things that I am accomplishing are not for anything more than I've taken my life in my own hands. And I realize that there's no more playing the blame game. There's no more pointing the fingers. If I want something to happen, it's up to me to make those decisions, to create the paths that I can go down to live the life that I truly deserve. And that is what I'm doing each and every day now. And that is what I am striving to teach others of what they can do for themselves. Powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I heard so many good things there and so many aspects about your journey. And one thing that stood out to me was the personal development piece and your resiliency. Can you shed a little bit of light on, you know, one, you found yourself in those dark moments. What did you do to really help get yourself out of them? Was it you know, pouring into podcasts, reading books, or how did you allow yourself to stay centered despite such chaos going on in your life? It was actually, it was, it was books, 100%. And uh, I remember uh, when I started reading again in 2013, and now it's weird being an author and, and writing books. It's kind of like, it's so surreal. When I started reading books again in 2013, I, I jokingly tell people that, um, the last book I had read prior to that was the first Harry Potter. That's how long it had been. And that was in 2001. So it had been 12 years since I picked up a book. There, there's a number of books that I always go back to, one being The Science of Getting Rich. But I think one of the most impactful ones, and it's so funny that this just came up in my time hop from five years ago. And it's a book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And it's one of my favorite books. And, and there are so many nuggets in this book. And he talks about so many different things. But one of the things that, that really helped me really start stepping forward in my life was 
he, he broke down the types of people that, that live in this world. And he said, there's three types of people. There's people that live in fear. There's people that live in anxiety. And there's people that live in peace. And he said, the people that live in fear are the ones that are fearful of the future. They're always thinking ahead. They're always thinking about what if this happens? What if that happens? They're always writing and creating these movies in their head about things that don't exist yet. Then he said there's people that live in anxiety and stress, which means they're fretting over things that have already happened, their past story, and they, they literally freeze their life right there. So they're constantly replaying these tapes that don't serve them. And he said, then there's the sect, the sect of people that live in peace. And he said, the people that live in peace live in the only time that we can control, and that's the now. And he said, the more present that you have yourself, the more grounded you are, the more present you are in your body, in your mind, in your life, the more you will create peace in your life. So for me, that's still my anchor to this day. If my mind starts to wander either ahead or back, I shut it down because I'm not going to create a story that doesn't exist and I'm not going to replay a tape that doesn't make me feel good. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to focus on what's directly in front of me right now and what I can control, which is this present moment. And the more that I focus on being present, the more my life has become more abundant. It, it's, it's strange, but it's true. And it's something that everyone should practice, that, that power of being present in our own body and our own minds right now. It could do wonders for your life, for your relationships, for your bank account, so many things. There's such, there's such a, a, a continuous positive effect from really being present in the moment. And it's so interesting you say that too, because I know when I talk to people, a lot of people arrive in the present moment and they're very scared and they can't stay there. They either try to meditate or just get conscious about what they're doing now. And this fear is there. They arrive and there's fear. Can you maybe talk about the mindset? Once you are present, what are you thinking about? What are you doing in that present moment? I think fear, fear is a choice, first of all. And it's people, this is the, it's, what people need to understand is every emotion is a choice. Every feeling is a choice. Every reaction to something is a choice. So when people talk about, oh, I'm scared, I, uh, I'm full of anxiety, I'm full of stress, uh, I'm full of fear, all the, you're choosing that for yourself. So I always choose things that make me feel good. And it, it's funny because there, there are some days where I'll come back from the gym and I'll put some music on and I'll just kind of jam out in the car and it helps me just shut off my brain. And there's other times where, like this morning, I didn't listen to anything in the car. And I just kind of stayed in my head and, and just thought about, you know, what I'm grateful for and, you know, just smiled. And, and sometimes when I'm most present, I'm actually not thinking about anything. There's nothing going on. And I, and I, that's not, that, always hasn't been the case for me. You know, I've, I've always been an overthinker, uh, you know, over analyzer, 
that kind of person where I say something and I'm like, shit, was that, was that the right thing I said? Should I have said it differently? And I'm so quick to shut those thoughts off because again, they're just stories. What I've learned about being present is when you are present, sometimes you don't have to feel anything. Sometimes you can just, just feel that present moment. And it, it doesn't have to be this, this shining moment or this aha moment or this big in, in, empowering type moment. It could just be feeling happy and feeling peaceful and grounded and calm and relaxed. And, and that's how I feel most of the time. And, and I know if I'm feeling calm, if I'm feeling relaxed, that I'm being present. Now, I'm also a human being, which means I get stressed. I have anxiety, just like everybody else. I have fears. I have doubts. But what I now know, and this is, this is what I encourage everyone to do that's listening to this, if you really want to learn about how to become better, how to become more present in the moment, how to shut down the anxiety and the stress and the overwhelmed, really focus on your, your present body, the, where you are right now, because the, the more that I've practiced this, the more that I can recognize maybe a self-sabotaging thought or something that's not true, some sort of fallacy that's running between my ears. And I shut it down and I get back within myself. And this, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, this is an ongoing practice. You know, you don't just start meditating and start journaling and start affirming things and, and doing all these things and, you know, two weeks you're fixed. It's personal development is a long-term game. You're always looking to improve yourself. And something that I always share with people, when you feel you know everything, you actually know nothing. There is always a step to be taken in the right direction. So I really encourage people just to start somewhere, whether it's listening to this podcast, or if it's picking up a book, or getting a gratitude journal, or writing some I am statements every single morning. When you do something like that, when you create a positive anchor for yourself to fall back on, you're going to be less likely to fall back into that dark space and place where you're self-sabotaging yourself, and you're going to continue to come back to something that's going to push you forward to living that life that you really want to live. It's so interesting when you, when you speak about that. There's so much discovery there for folks, and there's still a little bit of resistance about, can I handle the present moment? And do, is this present moment gonna allow me to feel okay? I feel like a lot of folks enter the present moment and they realize that it's not the way they thought it should look. And so the journey of discovering a new form of acceptance takes place. I'd be curious with you, Scott, you know, what, when you think about self-discovery, what has that meant for you? Well, I think it's, it's understanding that you yourself, it, you're the only one that controls the way that your life is going to be. And, and again, I think this, this comes back to, you know, the blame game, you know, the finger pointing, the old stories, you know, oh, my dad's such a dick. He, you know, he went to prison and left me at 18 to run a gym. And I, you know, did I have resentment and anger? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a human being. But did I, did I let that, that mount up where it, it cost me a relationship with my father or my family? No, I let go of that. 
And what I've realized is that when, when the more self discover, the more self discovery you do, the more you tap into yourself, you, you start to realize that there's this, this higher power that we all possess. And again, you could be listening to this and you can feel this is like mumbo jumbo stuff. It's not, it, it exists. There is this, people don't realize how magical human beings are. You know, we're the only species that actually can adapt, change and create new things. If you think about all the other species that exist on this, this earth, you know, elephants can't create websites. They can't write books when you realize how magical of a species we are and how we really can tap into whatever we want to tap into, we can create what we want to create. When you start to discover these things about yourself, what you can actually accomplish, what you can actually achieve, it, I don't want to say it becomes addicting, but you want to see how much more is out there. How much more can I discover about myself? How much further can I push myself? And again, if you're listening to this and you're not happy with where you are professionally in your life, if you, if you feel that you're in quote unquote at a dead end job or you're not getting paid, you're not getting paid for what you feel you're worth or you, know, you don't want to be a stay at home mom anymore and you feel like you, you have a different calling, then go for it. Like what, what's, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You know, you fail, great then you're going to start to learn how to succeed. So uh, a quote that I always reinforce with myself that I always teach people is that your failures will always open the doors to your successes. So when I started to discover that the more often I fail, it's going to lead me to more often succeeding. I seek to fail as often and as quickly as I can. So I can continue to move myself down this path of not just self-discovery, but self-awareness, being aware of my surroundings, being aware of what I've created. And the other thing that people need to do more of is loving yourself, really looking back and seeing all the amazing shit that you've done. I think people start to dim their own lights and don't realize, like whether it's a mother or a father, the, the ability that you did to, to raise your kids or maybe some raises that you got at the, at the job that you have or a business that you grew, give yourself some kudos, pat yourself on the back. If you can't love on yourself, if you can't appreciate and honor you, how are you going to do that for other people around you? So really understanding, and this is, this is what I, the biggest thing about self-discovery is learning that the more that I love on me, the more that I appreciate and honor me, it allows me to honor and appreciate that much more on those all around me. And that is Scott Aaron, everybody. I know I loved getting to know Scott and just hearing about his story. I mean, with him, he's gone through so many quiet moments. And for a lot of us, that is the truth. Like we have had these quiet moments in life that from looking outside in, everything looks fine. But on the inside out, you know, there's a lot of processing going on. And with Scott, it's so beautiful because he's taken all of his experience and he's really sharing that with other people through multiple different vehicles. And I just think that's incredible. And so if you've enjoyed, you know, listening from Scott, then reach right out to him and make sure that you're following the Quietest Moments podcast so I can bring these stories of inspiration and empowerment to you every single week. 
Thanks so much, guys. And I'll talk to you again soon.